thought I'd speak to you about things that have been happening specifically this last week, but maybe over the last few months in our country in general, but then recently right here in our own backyard. Thursday, there were these protests that started to happen in Mafeking, or I'm told, I'm, I'm saying it wrong, it's Mahikeng. <laughs> spread and then we didn't see any of it here in this particular area where we are and we imagine that it was just in Mahikeng but you know we've got friends that live in Alabama or in Juberton and for them it's very different. They had burning tires and people throwing rocks at each other when at passing vehicles and blockading the M12 etc etc. The mistake that so many people make is they think it's a race thing. If it was a race thing it wouldn't have been there, right? It would have come here. This is about people experiencing such frustration and they feel this is the only way that they can make themselves heard. Now, what you see there is a loss of hope. People are losing hope that things can change, that things can get better. And when people start losing hope, that's when it can get very dangerous. And I'm not trying to be political or depressing. I'm saying... People are looking for solutions. I don't think they're always looking for them in the right places. I don't think people are always looking for solutions in the right way. We cannot condone resorting to violence to make yourself heard. But you can also not condone ignoring people's needs for years, for decades. People need hope. Confidence that tomorrow will be better. Hope is not just a wish. It is confidence that things will be better tomorrow than it was today or yesterday. We are the only people on the planet that truly can say we have a reason for hope. You know, if you just want things to get better, but you're not sure that it ever would, then you do not actually have hope. You have a wish. We are the only people that are qualified to have hope. And we are the only people qualified to communicate hope. Nobody else can. Because nobody else is a guarantee because God has not promised to help anybody else except those that believe in Him. And He makes that invitation open to everyone. The hopeless people that are acting the way that they are. We just see it now in terms of social unrest because of failure to deliver services while lining my own pocket, right? But people are hopeless in other areas as well. People's marriages fall apart. They lose hope that this thing that is broken can ever get fixed. People experience health issues and they believe, I've done everything that I know to do. I've gone to all the doctors that I can possibly go to and I don't know that anything can get better ever again. Or maybe I won't die from this, but I'll never regain the strength or the agility or the mobility that I used to have before this happened to me. And so people lose hope. We are the only ones qualified to say there is a better tomorrow. In Christ, there is something better. In Christ, there is healing, there is the restoration, and there is truth. And God can transform people so that when they come into positions of power, they do not abuse that, but they use it for the reason. Do you know that God in Scripture says that He appoints authority? That doesn't mean that everything that is done by authorities is from God. But God thinks it's a good idea for us as a society to organize ourselves and give certain people authority. But he says it is for this purpose. Second Timothy actually is very explicit. He says we should pray for those that are in leadership so that we can live a peaceable 
and fruitful unto God, a godly life. God wants there to be order in our society. But you know, if you keep putting people without Jesus into power, don't be surprised if it doesn't always work out very well. The solution to political issues, the solution to health issues, the solution to all of this will only come when people are transformed inside. You can set up the system however you like. You can make it whatever ism is your favorite ism. If the people running the system do not have life in them, it will be messy. What we need is for people to be reconciled to God. And today I am speaking about God as a relationship God again. Because God says in 2 Corinthians 5 that He has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. And we've used that word reconciliation with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. We've used it in all kinds of things. We even use it in accounting, right? You reconcile the books. You make them talk to one another. You make sure that you have the right receipts for the right entries. You make sure that everything balances. But this is God's word. To reconcile is God's word. And for God, it is a relationship word. Now, in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, we have a few very famous verses. How many of you have heard these verses before? I'm just going to mention them before we actually go go to them. But verse 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. We've heard that one, right? Good one. Yeah, we walk by faith, not by sight. And we quote it, right? I'm going through a difficult patch, and I don't know how I'm financially going to make it, but I believe God, right? We walk by faith, not by sight. I'm sick, and uh, I've prayed. And I haven't gotten my healing in manifestation yet, but I believe that I'm healed. Why? Because I walk by faith, not by sight, right? We use that verse, and it's good. It's a right way. But I want to show you that that's not exactly the context. I'm going to quote two more verses from this passage that you've heard. But I don't know if you've ever heard it in context. Another one is verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Yes, we like that verse, right? We like that. I am a new creature in Christ. All things have become new. You know, that old life that I lived, it's gone. I'm no, I'm no longer bound by that sin. Wonderful. And then, of course, we like this one too. Verse 21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We like that one too. I mean, come on. Have you heard those verses before? Anybody? Right? You've heard those, right? We like those. Do you know that this chapter is about the resurrection and about reconciliation? These verses, these three verses, they're favorites. But most of the time when we quote them, we say nothing about the resurrection and we say nothing about reconciliation. But that's what this chapter is about. So let's go back to verse 7 and just look at this. In the first few verses, he's been talking about the resurrection. And that we know that we are going to be resurrected, even though we don't see it now. That's why he says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Can you see? That's what he's talking about. The only person that we know of that was resurrected from the dead and stayed alive. I mean, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus died again. Right? But Jesus was raised from the dead and he stayed alive and went up to be with the Father. And we have this confidence that that's exactly what's going to happen to us. Even though we haven't seen it ourselves with our own physical eyes, we have this confidence. We walk by faith, not by sight. That's why if you have to ask me which is better, for my body to die and for me to be with the Lord, or for me to just keep on going in this particular body, then dying and being with the Lord is actually better. 
You see, because if I go and be with the Lord, one day I'm going to get a better body. You're going to see me with hair, believe it or not. <laughs> I am confident of this, right? It's going to get better. Can you see there's a better future? There's a better tomorrow. Now, this isn't just all for when Jesus comes back one day. But you do know if Jesus tarries his coming just a little bit, we will all die. I'm not trying to be depressing. But you do know that we are over 6 billion people. That means that every second, a few hundred people are dying. 200. 200. There they go. Every second. And people act as if they're going to be here forever. He's saying... My friend, if you only live by what you can see right now, if that's your entire hope, you have a very, very short-sighted view on life. Fact of the matter is, we want things to get better down here. But even if they get better down here, at some stage you're going to die. Do you have any expectation that something good is waiting for you on the other side? We're talking about the basics of Christianity here. Do you know? That if you die, if you take off this tent, Paul calls this a tent. <laughs> this body is just a temporary house. If you take off this tent, that you'll be with the Lord and then one day is going to give you a permanent building, a new body. Are you confident of that? Do you know that? In fact, is that not just something that you wish is true? Is that your hope? Is that your full expectation? Now, if, and I believe that the vast majority of us here have that confidence, if that is true, if the rest of my life is going to be over in a flash, then I cannot live the rest of my life for only this life. I have to start making investments on the other side. If you truly believe that this life is a short one, you need to start making investments for the next one. It has to change how you live your life today. Why do you make a retirement plan? Because you know, all things being equal, you'll get there, right? You're planning for that period of your life. Some of you, you're not even out of school yet. You're going like, what? Retirement plan. I just want to get out of school. But you're, you're trying to study as hard as possible, right? Because you know, school will pass and then I will have to go and study something else or I will have to qualify myself in some way, right? When you study hard so that you can get a good job one day, you're already planning ahead for the next phase of your life. And yet people live as if this life is all that there is. Verse 10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Help me. How many of you know this was written to Christians, right? Second Corinthians was written to Christians. People say, I won't be judged. Uh, so what do we do with this verse? Do we say the rest of the chapter is for us, but not that one? Not verse 10. Now, if you believe in Jesus, you will be with him forever. But you can live your life here and waste it and stand before him and have no reward. You can. I mean, you'll have eternal life. You'll be with the Lord forever, but you'll have no reward. That's what I understand. That's what this verse is saying. I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. Don't worry. But honestly, you will want to stand before him and hear him say, well done. That's what you want to hear, right? I'm going to stand before God and give an account of what I did with the time and the opportunities and the gifts and the talents that he gave me. I'm going to have to give an account, whether I wasted it or used it. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. This is interesting. So many of us know, we're certain, if we die, we're going to be with the Lord. But he says, therefore, if you know that this life is going to be short, 
going to be over soon. And that you'll have to give an account to God. Therefore, we persuade men. If you want to invest in the life that's to come, this is what you do. If you know that this, you might be okay if you die and go to be with the Lord. But if you have any compassion, if you have any understanding of what's important to God, you get busy with this. Persuading people of the truth of the gospel because they need it. So you're okay, but what about the people that aren't? This is how you make investments on the other side. No investment that you can make down here. No property that you can buy. No investment that you can make at the bank or on the stock exchange will follow you into eternity. It's going to be here and it's going to be gone you know, this is one of the things that the preacher gets depressed about in Ecclesiastes. I see people gathering up all this wealth, but the guy never thinks about who it's going to belong to when he's gone. And it's vanity, vanity. And a chasing after the wind, he says. You can get really depressed if you read only bits of Ecclesiastes. It can be really depressing. And he says, the conclusion of the matter is, serve your creator in the days of your youth. In other words, invest in the one relationship that's going to last forever. This is where you invest your time. Otherwise, your entire life will be a chasing after the wind. It will be here and gone tomorrow and you'll have nothing to show for it. Now, a few verses later. Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Oh, I just want the love of Christ. I just want God to love me. No, no, no. I just want the love of Christ to control me. Yes, great. So if the love of Christ controls you, does that mean that you're really nice? You're a nice person. I'm sure the love of Christ controls me because I'm nice to my mother. You should be nice to your mother. But that does not tell me that the love of Christ controls you. If you invest your time in selfish pursuits, the love of Christ is not controlling you. If you're living your life for what's only on this side of the grave, the love of Christ does not control you. The context is, if the love of Christ controls you, then you invest in the next life by making sure that other people get to know God. Then the love of Christ controls you. That's the context, right? Am I reading anything out of context here? You see, this puts a completely different spin on those famous verses, doesn't it? Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature and the old things have passed away, behold, new things have come. If I still look at you based on what you can do for me, I am looking at you according to the flesh. If what's important to me about you is what our relationship can do for me, as we said two weeks earlier, I'm treating you like a thing, not a person. Do you understand? But if I understand that my old way of looking at people is in the flesh, but now I've been made new, then the way that I look at people has to have a complete turnaround. I don't care what you can financially do for me. I don't care what you can do to help me with my priorities. What I care about is God's priorities. 
The stuff that used to be important to me, that's part of the stuff that passed away. If all things have become new, it means my priorities have become new. I don't care what group you are part of. Because, you know, all those qualifications of you're, you're this or this or you're part of that group of people or this group of people, you're in this party, you're of this ethnic group, you speak this language, all of that is looking at people in the flesh. I'm just focused on what's on the outside of you and it's all that I can see and it's all that I'm interested in and then I have not had a change of heart, then I cannot say the love of Christ controls me. I cannot say the love of Christ controls me. Here's the thing. What is your core identity? What's at the center of if somebody asks you, who are you? Describe yourself. Where do you begin? If I were to begin by saying, I'm a white, Afrikaner, male, South African citizen, married, father of three, Christian professional, lecturer, pastor, I'm a bold guy. (laughs) If that's what I'm saying, I can start with any of those things. And what I've just revealed is, I think of myself only in the flesh. Guess how I'm looking at you? If I can only describe myself based on this outward stuff, guess how I view other people? I'm a Christian before I'm a man. Did you know that? Bible says, in Christ there is now, therefore, no more neither male nor female. Now, I know I'm a boy. When I go into the bathroom, I go to the boy's side. I'm not confused. (laughs) But before I qualify who I am that way, even more basic than my gender is my identity in Christ. That's what I am first. And if I can get that right about myself, guess what? Then I'll start getting it right about everybody else. You see, now I start to, to view things through the Spirit. I no longer walk by sight. Now I start walking by faith. I'm not blind to other people's mistakes. I'm not blind to the stupid stuff that people from different groups do to one another. But that's not their basic identity. If they can come into Christ, they can become new creatures. What counts for me can count for them. If they can come into Christ, now we have hope. For the short term, meaning the next hundred years, yes, that's short term, and for the long term, that's eternity. That's the real long term. But I need to get them in Christ first. How do you think about Jesus? When you think about Jesus, I, I know we, we, we do this. I mean, the Bible describes Jesus mostly in terms of the three years that he ministered publicly. Right? We know a little bit about his birth. We know a little bit about his childhood. And then mostly the stories that we tell about Jesus are about what he did in those three years that he ministered. And sometimes that's the only vision of Jesus that we have. And Paul says he was that and much, much more. When he was here on earth in the flesh, they thought he was a great preacher, an interesting rabbi preacher, but of a revolutionary. They didn't get that he was here as the representative of God. God made flesh. We need to think about how we think about him. Jesus was the prototype of a new creation of which you, you're a copy of Christ. If you've come into Christ, all things have passed away. Behold, everything new, everything is new, right? The new has come. 
My translation says, actually the Greek there indicates a new creation has come. Something brand new, a new species have come. And if you're in Christ, you're a brand new species. I don't know if you're still Homo sapiens. I think you're a, you're Homo divinicus. You know, you're, you're, you've been made in the image of God. You've been made in the image of the divine. But is that how you think of yourself? How do you describe yourself? If that's true, how ought we to live? Now this chapter is full of therefores. I counted there's about four therefores. Four therefore. Okay. Therefore, therefore. He's saying the one thing logically leads to the next. If this is true, therefore, you have to believe that this is true. And if that's true, then this is how you should live. It's filled with therefores. So let's look at the, de- the therefores. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Twice he says God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. It was God doing something that everybody needed to have done. And then he passed the baton on to us. The gospel is not just about what God has done in Jesus Christ. But the fact that that news will only reach people if we pick up the task that he's given us. Reconciliation, for reconciliation to happen, God has done everything that he is going to do. In Christ, he was reconciling the world to himself, and he's done it. What he did in Christ is enough to reconcile the entire world to himself. But now, he has given that ministry of reconciliation to who? To us. He has committed the word of reconciliation to who? To us. So if people do not get reconciled to God, whose fault is it? You have to hear me today. I am confident that you know God. I've seen all the faces except one before. And I know you are walking with God. I know you are reconciled to Christ. I know that. But we need to live for this. This is the service. The ministry means the service. And it's not committed to the pastors. It's committed to the body of Christ. The ministry of reconciliation, this is our service. This is what we do for God. God has committed this ministry into our hands. The word of God will not go out to people that need him if we do not take it. The word of reconciliation was committed to us. Does the love of Christ control you? If the love of Christ controls you, then you make this your priority. These are the glasses that you put on to look at other people. If you don't know Jesus, maybe I'm not going to thump you over the head with my Bible, but I'm going to start praying specifically for you. I'm going to start saying, well, Lord, you brought this person into my life for a reason. You know, it's a bad idea to bash them over the head with the Bible if you haven't been talking to God about it. If you start leading, trying to lead people to a relationship of Jesus, You're not trying to get another notch on your belt, you know. How many did I lead to Jesus this week? You don't tattoo, you know, angel wings on your forearm for every person that you lead to Jesus. 
Because then you're still treating them as if they're things. You understand? I have a reconciled relationship with Jesus. And I would love for you to have it too. This is what God has left me here for. Otherwise, I could have just checked out and been with him. From the moment that I came to faith in Jesus, what am I still doing here? I mean, if I know on the other side it's going to be much better, why don't I just check out? What's the point? The only point for why we are still here is to be controlled by the love of Christ. To love one another in word and in deed. To display the glory of God. What it means for me to have a changed life. Knowing who I was and what I am now. And living that to others so that they can understand that when I come to God, I am truly a new creature. And guess what? So can you be. You know, there are things in ourselves that we hate about ourselves. Have you noticed? Or is it just me? There's some stuff that I know about myself that I don't speak about (laughs) to others. Uh, Yeah, you thought of some things. But you know, that's not who I am anymore. It's who I was. And I can honestly say it's not who I am anymore. If scripture is true, that person is gone. That person is gone, dead, buried. When I was baptized, that person got buried. I'm a new creature. Brand new. And I know what it means for me to be able to say that person is gone. You know, he says that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In that day, people that do not know him will have everything that they've ever done mentioned before all creation. If they have to open my book and read my book out, I will want to go to hell. Just to get away from the embarrassment. Let's be honest. If everything that you've ever done and thought got told to everybody, everybody will know about it, about you. Will you ever want to look anybody in the face again? But if my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, they never read my book. They only read his. And whatever I've done right will be given credit to Jesus. If I can do anything right, it's because Jesus did something through me. And I am hugely relieved to know that they will not be opening my book. Now, If you find that a terrifying prospect, think about the millions of people. That's their future. That's their future. And who gets to do anything about it? We do. This is a stern word. I don't usually go this route. But I have to ask very seriously, what is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is not just for us to gather and feel good when we're together. You understand? I enjoy this. Okay, otherwise I wouldn't come every Sunday. I would find another job. And if you didn't enjoy this, you wouldn't come either. I understand that. But the purpose of the church is not just for us to gather and enjoy being together. The purpose of the church is to take this ministry of reconciliation and get it to people that need it. This is the one task that Christ has left the church. Now, there are two sides of this and I'll try to be, do this part quickly. Jesus sent us out to preach the word and make disciples, make them followers. Now, you don't always make somebody a follower in a single day. You follow? Even if somebody makes a decision for Christ, there are some things that need to change in their lifestyle. You understand? And that's fine. And that takes a process where we go through discipleship. But I'm not just training them to be nice people. Maturity, according to the Bible, is becoming a spiritual father. That means leading somebody else to Christ. I'm not discipling you to be a nice person. I'm discipling you so that you can make other disciples. 
And that's what we do when we're together. That's why it's fun. We're family. It's a family business, right? We're following the father. We're his children and we're in the same business with him. So of course it's fun when I see family. I enjoy being with you. And we need to support one another and strengthen one another and encourage one another to good works to do what God has given us to do before he comes again. That's the purpose. That's what this is about. We no longer know each other according to the flesh. And no dispersion against any particular other congregation. This goes for the entire church everywhere. I'm not sure that everything that the church is busy with is necessarily viewing each other spiritually. I think there's a lot of stuff that appeals to people's flesh. A lot of activities, a lot of funds go into things that appeal to people's flesh, but has no effect in bringing anybody into a reconciled relationship with Jesus. That's not us. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's not us. This fellowship is about getting people that don't know Jesus to know Him, to train them up to be His followers, so that they can one day stand before Him and say, Lord, the time that You granted me on earth was worth it. Here's the fruit of my labors. That's what we're about. And if we have to change everything that we do and all the ways that we do it, and how often we do it, we will. But that's us. This is the ministry that Christ has given us. The ministry of reconciliation. The word that we have is the word of faith, the word of reconciliation. Verse 20 says, Therefore, we, that's the church, are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The reason why He did it was so that we would be His ambassadors. You see, the fact that I am the righteousness of God is not so that I can stand on my own dung heap and crow, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, you are. And he paid that price so that you can get that word to other people. I know I've quoted that verse so many times. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And usually, you know who am I, who I'm thinking about other than Jesus? Me. I, I'm honest. I teach people. Now don't feel condemned about the sin that you've done before you came to Christ. Because in Christ you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. People come to Jesus and then they still sin and then they feel guilty about it. And then I use this verse and I tell them, don't feel guilty about it anymore. If you've confessed it, it's cleansed. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I use this verse that way. I don't think it's wrong, but that's not the point. God did this so that everyone could obtain this. So that everyone can become new creatures. So that we all can say together, Thank you, God. I am in you. Everything in this chapter is strong language. He he expresses himself super strong. He even says, we beg you. We beg you. We plead with you. As strongly as we can be reconciled to God. You see, this is his ambition. This is his first priority. And don't leave your profession. Don't stop being a teacher or business person or whatever. All right? (laughs) but in whatever you do when you meet somebody the first time this is the question first does this person know the lord and is there a role for me in this person's life 
to help them to come and understand him for who he is. You know, Proverbs says, he that wins souls is wise. Maybe when you meet somebody, instead of just pulling out the tract, do you know Jesus? Okay, let's get on with business. If you understand the value of that person and the gift that it was for God to put you in relationship with that person, if you can see that person for the value that they carry in God's eyes, then you will pray for them. And you will say, Lord, do I have to say anything? How am I supposed to say what I'm supposed to say? Because it's it's hard to lead people to the Lord if you're not hearing His voice. Okay, It's hard. It can become a task. It can become something that pushes you down. But if you love them, if you are being controlled by the love of Christ, then you pray for them. And in that conversation with God, you're going to hear what to say to them, what to do for them before you say anything to them. And you will see that God will start working through you. But it takes a complete mind renewal. I'm still in process. I still find myself sometimes not thinking, first of all, about that person's well-being. And then I have to pull myself up short and say, I'm not being controlled by the love of Christ here. Just be honest, it's not about guilt. I hope you hear, okay? This is much more stern than what I usually speak. But I hope you hear that this is, we're down to rock-bottom Christian reality here. For too long, we've made the church about what does it do for me? How does it bless me? How does it qualify me to be more successful in life? Let me hang out with cool people, right? Friday night youth about cool, right? Sunday about how professional it can be. All of that stuff, it's window dressing. I plead on behalf of God with you. If you've drifted from God's priority, and we all need to just occasionally realign ourselves with these priorities. If you've drifted, be reconciled with God. You reconcile your priorities with God's priorities. Let's use that accounting term then. Make sure that your priorities line up with God's priorities. Because the fact is you're a new creature. You're not who you used to be. In Christ, you're a brand new species. God has made us new and he has given us this gift. He's put it in our hands. The privilege of this to say, I carry the ministry of reconciliation. See, this is where real change starts. Real change starts when the church picks up the ministry that God really put in their hands. And in the process, we'll see families change, see communities change, we'll see the city and this province change. Yes, they will change and it will be for the better. But it's not going to happen unless we pick up this ministry. This is our priority. I hope you hear God pleading through me with you. So I'm going to invite you, everyone, just to stand. Father, you gave us the Holy Spirit so that we will be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. Your Son gave His life so that we could be reconciled to God. You've given us this ministry. And I am confident that you are not an unreasonable God. That you, if you give us the ministry of reconciliation, then you give with it the ability to fulfill that ministry. I am confident that you are good and that you would not give us a task that we cannot complete. I'm confident that you have your hand on each person here. I'm confident that when you look at us, you see a congregation of ambassadors. People that you have given the authority to, to bring others out of darkness. I am confident, Lord, that when you look at us, what you see is a people ready to obey. I am confident, Lord, that when you look at us, you look at us as brand new creatures. 
I am confident that when you look at us, you see nothing of our past and only what you have made us to be in Christ. I'm confident, Lord, that you want to use us and that you will use us. And we are here. We're standing because we're making ourselves available to you. We say, Lord, we are your ambassadors and you are welcome to plead with others through us so that they may be reconciled to Christ. And Father, if there is any way that we have been looking at people in the flesh instead of in the spirit, then we repent of that completely right now. Let's just say that, Lord, we repent of looking at anybody according to the flesh. We don't know Christ that way. And we don't know one another that way anymore. Let's just confess before the Lord, Lord, you are good. And we are ready to obey you. And be used by you. Lord, I pray that you will anoint our eyes. That when we see people, we see them as they could be. That we see them through your eyes and love them. That the love of Christ would control us. Lord, all the opportunities that you give us in our schools, in our businesses, in our circles of friends, in our families. All these things that you give to us. All these opportunities. Lord, we trust you to equip us so that we can make the most of these opportunities. Be glorified in our lives, Lord. I just sense that while while we've been praying, the Lord has been putting specific people on your heart. The Lord's been, you, you saw that face. You remember that name. Maybe opportunities that you missed this last week or a month back, but you're seeing opportunities. And I just sense the Holy Spirit saying to you, that opportunity will come again. Start praying now while we're here. Start praying when you get home. Start praying about that person or people that came to mind while we were praying. Lord, thank you that we will know what to say. And as your ambassadors, we carry you. We want to carry you well. We want to represent you well. Our lives truly belong to you. The old things have truly passed away. The new has completely come. Amen.